السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمدا عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد إن شاء الله تعالى today we're going to complete the tafsir of surah al-ala so inshallah we have like I think three or four verses left of this surah before we finish but just a brief recap of what we did um, over the last couple of weeks so just going over the last two verses that we've covered uh, verses 14 and 15 of Surah Al-A'la in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the people of success Uh, and and it will be made clear inshallah ta'ala in today's lesson as to why I've chosen to go over these two um, lessons or these two verses briefly in our recap um, even though I think we did one of them a couple of weeks back so verse 14 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ Prosperous are those who purify themselves. And we said that that purification of the soul is something which is extremely important in our religion, cleansing the soul, purifying the heart. Uh, we have a number of hadith, as we mentioned, concerning this from the Prophet wasallam. not least of which is the hadith that speaks about how if the heart is pure and rectified, then the rest of the body follows suit. And if the heart is corrupted or wicked, then the rest of the body or the limbs also follow suit. And so the scholars of Tafsir, some of them said that it speaks about the purification in terms of theology, in terms of ideology and belief. So you purify yourself in terms of freeing yourself from shirk and innovation and all of those things. Others said it is purification of action. So purifying your action by way of performing righteous deeds and, um, and, and coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and staying away from the haram. And others came to a more uh, specific, a more narrow understanding of the word zakah and narrow in the sense that they specified it more rather than making it the whole religion in terms of tawheed and and righteous deeds they specified it to the actual act of worship that is called zakah so they considered it to be the zakah that we give on wealth the zakah that's given on wealth and others went even more specific and they specified it or linked it directly or specified it uh, to zakat al-fitr the zakat that is given at the end of the month of Ramadan. And we mentioned uh, the different scholars who took that position. And no doubt, as we said, all of those different elements of zakat are considered to be to come under, under this verse. So whether it's the general meaning of zakat or the more specific meanings of zakat, anything that helps a person to cleanse and purify themselves, then that is something which a person should uh, should focus upon because it is as Allah Azza wa says قَدْ أَفْلَحْ it is the means to success and salvation in verse 15 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues and says وَذَكَرَ اسْمَ رَبِّهِ فَصَلَّى and they remember the name of their Lord and pray and we mentioned that again some of the scholars spoke about this in terms of the general meaning that, that it is to do with the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as we mentioned being the statement of Ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma Another specified it more, they said that it's to do, or others, sorry, said that it is more to do with any type of dhikr, any type of dua, uh, as opposed to um, as opposed to just the, the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
and others said that it's to do with the, and they again specified emojis that they, as they did with zakah, they said that here the salah is referring to the obligatory salahs, which are the five daily prayers, and others were even more specific, and they said that it's the Eid prayer, the Eid prayer on the day of Eid al-Fitr, so the, the Eid that comes after Ramadan, so just as the zakah is the zakah that is connected to the month of Ramadan, zakat al-Fitr, then this prayer is also the prayer of Eid al-Fitr. And, and, and those are the positions that we mentioned last week and who said what and, and what was said. So inshallah ta'ala today we're going to continue with the last, I think there's four verses remaining. So we're on verse number 16. And that is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, بَلْ تُؤْثِرُونَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا Yet you people prefer the life of this world. And that's the translation of uh, Professor Abdul Harim. Uh, Mufti Taqi, but you prefer the worldly life, and Sahih International, but you prefer the worldly life, and Muhammad Muhsin Khan, nay, you prefer the life of this world. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says that after mentioning that this is the way that you achieve tazkiyah, that you purify yourselves through worship, through tawheed, through the different acts that you can perform in terms of coming closer to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Allah Azza wa Jalla is saying that we have given you the path to salvation. We have made clear for you and guided you towards that which if you do will bring you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will grant you his mercy, his forgiveness, his pleasure and ultimately his reward. However, the reality of people is that that concept or the understanding is something which is distant and far from their minds. The reality of people is that they are negligent of this, of this truth. The reality of people is that they are heedless when it comes to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and one of the greatest reasons for that heedlessness, for that negligence, or for that ignorance, is because they prefer the life of this world. It is extremely difficult, and I think we've mentioned this before, for humans to have a, a vision, or, or a far-sighted vision. And that's why most of the people live in, you know, you often hear people saying this, that we live in the now and, and today, in the moment, right? They don't really plan ahead, they don't really look ahead, and if they do have plans, they are very generic plans, like we hope that one day we'll get married, we hope that one day we can retire, we hope that one day our children will... It's a very generic plan. And that's why the people who are often most successful in business and in their careers and in other fields are those people who are extremely detailed with their planning and with their vision. They know exactly what that vision is, what it's going to look like, and they know then the steps that will help them to determine that vision. What often happens is that because the dunya is by its very nature something which is distracting, something which has in it temptations and something which has in it adornments and then at the same time also has its fair share of trials and hardships, challenges and tribulations, people seem to get sucked into just being in the little bubble that they are in and it is very difficult sometimes for them to be able to see, uh, to see beyond that. Add to that problem what we have today, the phenomena that we have today, which is that of instant gratification, which is essentially teaching us and our children and our societies that everything we have now should be on demand, right? everything must be instantaneous. So if I want something now, I want it delivered today, or I want it delivered at the very most by tomorrow. If I want to access something, I want to be able to access it now. This is something which you see across everything. Part of it, you know, obviously there is a, a good part and, and something which helps people in their daily daily lives. A lot of the automation that takes place and, and just the ease of, for example, of, of paying your, 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 your bills and, and being able to transfer money electronically. There is no doubt a great deal of ease that is involved in this as well. But at the same time, 
that instant gratification is also there, that element that I should be able to do this right now. So before, if I wanted to send money to my friend, to my relative, to whatever it may be, I would have to take out the cash and find a way of sending it to them. People would send it by hand. Someone's traveling to that country, you give it to them by hand, they'll take it there. That process is going to take you days, maybe even weeks, if for you to find that individual that's going to travel. Or even what we have uh, you know, in the, in the sense that you know, these Western Union type places where you can go and deposit cash there and the other person goes and picks it up the next day or whenever it may be. Even that is something which takes a level of time. Now what we have is instantaneous banking where instantly on my app on my phone I can transfer money to anyone in the world and usually speaking within a very short period of time, sometimes hours, sometimes minutes, sometimes seconds, they will receive what I sent to them. If I want to get something delivered now, right, this Amazon delivery system, which essentially gives to you same day delivery sometimes, I can order in the morning and by the evening it will be with me. That type of instantaneous gratification is something which then also programs people that when it's something which requires a delayed gratification, meaning that you can't achieve it now, then it's something which find, people find it more, more, more and more difficult to accept. Even seeking knowledge has become like this now. So if it's something which they can get right now, right here, because of the way that it's accessible online, or because it's short videos in two, three minutes, they feel like they've achieved something, people will naturally gravitate towards that, and they will leave what was the more traditional way of seeking knowledge, for example, and learning that it would take you perhaps months, if not years, for you to be able to finish a book or a course or study with a teacher. That's something which you see even today when it comes to seeking knowledge and those types of issues as well. And so then you add a third layer on top of that, especially when it comes to issues of Iman and belief. And the third layer now is that not only does it have to be you know, instant gratification, uh, not only is it that we have to fight the temptations of the dunya and all of that stuff, the, the next level of gratification is that it's not even tangible when it comes to reward of the Akhirah. So people can have a sense of delayed gratification if they have a level of discipline, but if they can only know and understand that there's going to be something tangible at the end. So I know that if I work hard for five years, I can retire. I'll have enough money. I know that if I can wait for three years, I'll be able to buy this car. I know that if I can do A, B, C, D, at the end, I will receive something that is tangible, materialistic, that I can actually use and benefit from. Some people have that ability to understand that, that process, even though I think that in our time, again, because of all the way uh, social media and everything else works, that that's even becoming harder amongst our youth and the younger generation for them to even understand that concept is something which is difficult. Whereas before, if you look, for example, at our parents, grandparents' generation, a person would work in the same job for their whole life, six, seven decades. They'd stay in that job, perhaps relatively low-paying, very little benefits and very little perks, but they would just commit to it because that's just the way it was. Now people go into a profession, you know, I come across so many young people today, they're studying medicine, tomorrow is engineering, the third day it's law, and that's because they've just simply jumped from one shift because they found that that's too demanding, too difficult, too whatever it may be, and so they're changing their mind very, very quickly. But what then, when the delayed gratification that we're asking people to, to work towards is not even something tangible. We're not saying that you will get money, property, uh, any type of any type of materialistic uh, reward, 
But actually what you're going to get is the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the mercy of Allah azza wa jal, reward in the akhirah. And that's where iman is so important. Because when you're fighting these other temptations and the way that the dunya has become, if that iman is weak, then that sense of being able to work for something that fits in all of these criteria that we just mentioned in terms of reward, that's going to be something which people will struggle with. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, yet you people prefer the life of this world. So you know the path to salvation. Allah Azza wa Jalla has made it clear. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guided you towards it. And Allah Azza wa Jalla has explained what it was and how it works. But still, you are people who prefer the life of this world. This uh, verse, as, as we know, we read with a ta, بَلْ تُؤْثِرُونَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا But in the other, uh, other qira'a, the other recitation that is mutawatir of Abu Amr al-Basri, he recites this verse as بَلْ يُؤْثِرُونَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا بَلْ يُؤْثِرُونَ With a ya instead of a ta. Now the uh, ya or the ta, the ya obviously makes it the uh, for the ghaib, for the for for them, it means it means instead of you preferring the life of this world, the translation becomes they prefer the life of this world. Um, Ibn Mas'ud radiAllahu an, he said, uh, and and this is a report from him. Uh, one of the one of his students said that I that I read to Ibn Mas'ud or asked him to recite to me Surah Sabihisma Rabbika Laala. So when he reached this verse, Bal Dunya. He stopped reciting and he turned towards us. And he said, no doubt, dunya ala we have given preference to this life over the akhirah. So the people became quiet. He said that we have given preference to this life because we saw its beauty, we saw its women, we saw its food and its drink. But as for the, the life of the next life or the hereafter, it's something which is hidden from us. So we have chosen the immediate gratification and we have left what is the delayed reward. So this is Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. You will find, by the way, a number of statements like this uh, from amongst the Salaf, the companions, their students, and so on, those very early generations in which they will say, you know, it's kind of similar to the hadith um, that we, that, or the narrations that we mentioned when we did the tafsir of Surah Al-Takathur. At the end of the surah, when Allah Azza wa Jalla says, "Thumma latusalunna yoma idin anin naim," and then indeed you will be asked concerning these blessings, and how some of the salaf said that, "Look, we've taken our blessings." You know, Abdul Rahman ibn Auf radiAllahu anhu, as we mentioned then, would say that you know we've taken our blessings in this life. It was companions like Musab ibn Umair radiAllahu anhu who died on the battlefield of Uhud, and we couldn't even find enough cloth to shroud him properly. Those are the companions who didn't take anything away. As for us, who lived all the way to the time of Umar and the Muslim empires expanded and wealth has come to us and we've, we've seen the luxuries and, and, and the easier side of life, we are the ones that have taken benefit from this dunya. And we know the level of these companions in terms of their piety and their righteousness and their knowledge. People like Ibn Abdurrahman ibn Awf and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud anhum, and others from amongst the companions. But you will see these statements that they make. And it should make us pause and stop and to think that if this is what they're saying, despite their knowledge, despite their piety, despite how many years they spent with the Prophet ﷺ, sacrificing for Islam and serving him and Islam, then what about people like me and you? He says that we've chosen the dunya because we've been attracted by its many beautifications and adornments. So what about us in our time? 
Ikrima Rahimahullah Ta'ala He said that the tu'thirun al-hayata dunya He said that it refers to this ummah Allah Azza wa Jal is referring to this ummah And this is where we're going to come back um, We're going to come back to the qira'at That we just mentioned The one with the ta' and the ya' Qatada said that he means فَاخْتَارُ النَّاسُ الْعَاجِلَ لِإِلَّا مَنْ عَصَمَ اللَّهِ That people generally will always choose what they can see. The quick success, the quick reward is what people will choose except for those whom Allah Azza wa fortifies and strengthens or protects. So people just by their nature will always take what they can have now. Right? If you said to someone, for example, you can have £100,000 now, today, or you can have £10,000 a year for the rest of your life, I think that it would be very interesting to see what, what people would take. And I think a great deal of people would just say, I'll take the £100,000 now. Because it will take me 10 years to get that £100,000. And yes, I may live for 20 or 30, so potentially I may get two or £300,000, but I may also die after two years, in which case I only took £20,000. So I think a lot of people would just go for the immediate lump sum, as opposed to the delayed amounts, even though they may... Uh, turn out to be greater and I think that's just the way people are programmed generally speaking most people are programmed to think in that way and that's why Imam Al-Tabadi he said you O people have given preference to the life of this world over the Akhirah the teacher of our teacher Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti he says that there are two Qira'at as we know as we just mentioned the Qira'at of the majority of the of the Qur'an, of the Qur'an is with a Tabal Tu'thiruna you are the ones who preferred the life of this world over the hereafter. And then you have the Qira'ah of Abu Amr al-Basri, rahimahullah ta'ala, where he uses the Ya, Bal Yu'thirun. They have uh, given preference. And both of these tafsir, by the way, are correct. As we often said, there are two tafsirs. The different Qira'at are essentially two different tafsirs that are being given here. It's like it's two verses. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about the reality of the people who came before us and the other nations that are still living. And he's also speaking about the reality of this ummah, as we just mentioned, as being the statement of a number of the scholars of tafsir, such as Ikrima, rahimahullah ta'ala, that he said that he's referring to this particular ummah. Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that no doubt the ta bal tu'thirun with the ta is a more general meaning than the ya, because the ya only refers to other nations or to past nations. Whereas the ta would refer to all of us, all of mankind. You meaning the general you, Muslim and non-Muslim. You and the nations that came before you. And so he says that that is a more generic meaning. And therefore he says that it is no doubt the one that is more, uh, you know, the more, more applicable one. The ya would make it exclusively for others as if we're not affected by it. And no doubt there are, inshallah ta'ala, many amongst this ummah that have been safe, uh, saved from that particular way of thinking and behaving and doing because they have to a certain level iman and righteous deeds and what have you but no doubt it's an affliction that still afflicts many people within this ummah and especially in the time that we live in where we see a massive uh, you know a massive uh, direction or focus change where people are becoming immersed more and more in the dunya and forgetting their akhirah as they're trying to struggle with the many other issues that we find as well Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin, he says, and there are many verses in the Qur'an that speak about the reason as to why people prefer the life of this world over the next. Allah Azza wa Jalla, throughout the Qur'an, he speaks about the reasons why. So he says, for example, one of them, one of the reasons that the Shaykh mentions one of those verses, 
is because of ignorance and the failure to people the failure of people to recognize reality to accept reality so what he means by this is that people even though they see the fact that people who have materialism they have the dormants of the dunya they they have all of these different trappings of of the dunya and so on that they still continue to struggle in terms of their maybe psychologically emotionally there's still people who are often depressed or have issues or whatever it is or that they don't see the reality of the fact that they will soon die and that none of this will therefore matter and it is limited these realities they don't focus on and so because of their ignorance they uh, they prefer the life of this world over the hereafter that is what Allah Azza wa Jal says for example he gives the verse of the Quran وَمَا هَذِهِ الْحَيَاةُ الدُّنْيَا إِلَّا لَهُ وَلَعِبُ that Allah Azza wa Jal says in a number of places in the Quran verses similar to this but this one is in Surah Al-Ankabut that the life of this world except is, is nothing except jest and play meaning that none of it is going to last and that is why he then mentions the statement that Imam Al-Qurtubi Rahimahullah Ta'ala mentions from one of the scholars of the Tabi'een and that is Malik ibn Dinar Rahimahullah Ta'ala that he said that if the dunya was made of gold but gold that would soon uh, gold that would soon cease to exist and the hereafter was to be made of something which is far less precious in terms of its value but it's something which would be everlasting then the sensible person would take what is everlasting over what is temporary even though it may be more valuable so if someone said for example you can either stay in this life 60 years and enjoy it live amazing have whatever you want do whatever you want 60 years and it's going to be amazing loads of money loads of everything that you want you can have or you can have eternity in a life that isn't going to be so good it's just going to be medium mediocre okay many people i think or most people that are sensible and they would want the everlasting existence even if the level of living is perhaps not the same he says Malik ibn Dina, ta'ala, he says if that's the way that it would work logically anyway what if then the life that is everlasting is the gold and the life that is temporary is actually the one that is worthless so the life of this world is worthless the life of the hereafter that is everlasting is amazing that's the one where the true value and worth and and wealth is 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 contained and we still go for the life of this world who for the vast majority of people it's difficult it's hard it's full of challenges and trials and sadness and difficulty we'll still choose that over the promise of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the reasons he says that that people give preference to this life over the hereafter is because as allah says because of the zina, because of the adornments, the beautifications, the temptations that have been placed in this uh, in this dunya. And there are a number of verses in the Quran, such as the one in Surah Ali Imran, verse number 14, that speak about this, that beautified for the people has been made their desires. And then Allah mentions a number of desires from spouses and children and wealth and animals and so on and so forth. All of these are different temptations that you find within the dunya. And people, when they become engrossed in those temptations and they forget the bigger picture, they don't see perspective, then they will give preference to this life over the next. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then in verse number 17, he continues and he says, Even though the hereafter is better and more lasting. So you prefer the life of this world, even though the hereafter 
is better and more lasting. And that's the translation of Professor Abdul Halim. Sahih International, whilst the hereafter is better and more enduring. And Mufti Thaqi, while the hereafter is much better and much more durable. And Muhsin Khan, although the hereafter is better and more lasting. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says this is the reality, right? This is the golden rule. You give preference for the dunya because of your ignorance, because of the limitations of your ability to understand, because of the temptations that you see around you, because you are naturally inclined to instant gratification. You want to take what you can when you can, and you don't see death as being something which is you know, impending. It's not, you don't see it as being something which is an immediate worry. It's something which you think that you will have many, many years before it comes to you. That's your reality, and because of it, you give preference to the dunya. Even though Allah is telling us the hereafter is not only better, it is more lasting. Anything that you have in terms of the beauty of the dunya and its temptations, despite that, what you have in the dunya in the akhirah will be far better. So even if the believer is someone whom Allah has favored, he has a very nice life. He's very comfortable. She's very comfortable. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to them from all of his blessings. Even that in comparison to the hereafter, it's like being a pauper. It's like being a poor person and destitute. And then obviously you have the issue of eternity as well. And that's why it's mentioned that um, one of the, I don't remember exactly which scholar it was now, but one of the scholars of the past, and I think if memory serves me correctly, and Allah knows best, it was someone like Abdullah ibn Mubarak, rahimahullah, someone, one of, one of those scholars of the past, who was, whilst being a scholar, also someone to, to whom Allah gave a great deal of wealth and money. So he was very wealthy. He, it is said that he was once walking uh, down uh, the road with a number of, of his students or, or companions with him. And he was someone who was wealthy. There are, huge, there are numerous stories that speak to his, his wealth and prosperity, ta'ala, and how generous he was with that wealth as well. And it is said that he met a non-Muslim who was living, as you know, in the, in the Muslim lands, even in those days, they had non-Muslims who would reside there and settle there and live there, work there and so on. But he came across a non-Muslim who was poor, a poor man. Maybe he was a beggar or he was just poor. And the poor man, when he saw this scholar, he said to him, how can you claim in your religion that the life of this world is a prison for the believer and a paradise for the disbeliever when you are the one who's enjoying life with all of your wealth and I'm the one who's suffering? Look at me, no money, no clothes, living on the road. I have nothing to my name. So the scholar replied to him and he said, it is a prison for us, the believers, in comparison to what Allah will give to us in the next life. And it is paradise for you in comparison to what Allah has prepared for you in the next life. Meaning that no matter how amazing your life is as a believer here, compared to the hereafter, it's still like a prison. And no matter how difficult your life may be here if you're a disbeliever, then compared to what Allah has prepared for you of the punishment of the fire, it will be like a garden or a paradise for you. And that understanding is, is something which is important to have because sometimes when things go easy or we start to enjoy things or things are not as difficult as maybe they are at the moment for many people, then people start to uh, become more negligent or more distant from their religion. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us this general principle. Every time, every place, every situation, every person, this is the golden rule. You give preference to the life of this world even though the hereafter is better and more lasting. Um, Al-Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, so therefore, the beauty of the hereafter, or the life of the hereafter is better for you and more lasting. 
because this world will soon vanish and the next life will continue to remain or it will remain forever. Ibn al-Qayyim he says that in order for a person to achieve looking forward to the hereafter or giving preference to the hereafter over the life of this world, he said that it's the two things are needed for a person to know and remember. You always constantly have to remember these two realities that will then allow you to put things into perspective and to correct your focus. The first of those two things is that how quickly life passes you by and therefore how quickly the dunya will also pass by. That's the first thing. So you see all around you people dying, people passing away, people becoming seriously ill or sick, people being afflicted by hardship and difficulty and disease. That is the the nature of the dunya. And so that's the first thing that you always constantly have to remind yourself. I don't think there's anyone that's listening to me here or watching me except that they will have people that they know who were relatively young, relatively healthy, had no real ailments to speak of, and they passed away. Whether it was due to a natural cause or due to an unnatural cause, whether it was due to an accident or maybe something which was violent or whatever it may be, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed that they would die and they would pass away. And I have seen people and the shock that you see on people's faces, families, friends, the community, when someone like that passes away. When you have an 18-year-old, who passes away, a seven-year-old who passes away. Now, sometimes those people were sick. They were generally uh, very ill for one reason or another. But we've all known people who were like that and they were completely healthy, had no issues, no problems. You know, it's not a suicide case or anything else, no issues. But then all of a sudden they have a heart attack. All of a sudden they're struck down by cancer. And now very quickly they pass away. Those realities show to you that that's the dunya. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wrote for everyone their time and their lifespan. And for some people it's longer and for some people it's shorter. But each and every single one of us will ultimately go towards that. And Ibn Qayyim ta'ala is saying that one of the greatest ways of being able to give preference to the next life over this one is to remember this truth, to remember this and how quickly things pass by. So, you know, most of us I think will remember when we were young kids, now we're probably parents. Some of us are grandparents. And those of us that are grandparents will remember when we were just parents. And those of us that are now parents very soon, and Allah knows best, He will make us into grandparents. That is how quickly the dunya passes by. If you're now at the age of 40, you're probably, you know, just speaking generally, but you're probably statistically closer now to your death than you were to your birth. If you're 40 years old, you're probably closer now to the end of your life than you are to the beginning of your life. And that is how quickly time goes because 40 is no longer considered to be an old age. It's not like the the time of hundreds of years ago or a thousand years ago when people's lifespans were relatively short. But even now, even when people live to the age of 70, 80, 90 quite regularly, that's still like half your life gone at least. And so that's something which shows to you the quick nature of the dunya. Um, and the second, he said, the second thing that you should do that helps you to focus on giving preference to the next life, Ibn Qayyim ta'ala, he said, to read often and to ponder often over the texts that speak about the Akhirah. So to read those texts of the Qur'an and the Sunnah of the Prophet wasallam that speak about the descriptions of the hereafter, Jannah and its beauties and its adornments and its rewards. He said that's something which helps a person to understand that the, because it's not just that Allah said the hereafter is there and it's everlasting and that's it. 
But rather what Allah did throughout the Quran and the Prophet did throughout the Sunnah is that they gave us so much detail, so much information, all of the rewards and all of much of that is given to us. And it helps you then to understand it because it gives you Allah could have just said as an issue of Iman, believe in the hereafter. Right? As one of the pillars of Iman, believe in the hereafter and that's all that you're getting. You don't get anything else. So you don't know what's going to happen on the day of judgment. You don't know what's going to happen in terms of reward or punishment. You don't know what's going, what it's going to be like in terms of the rewards of the people of Jannah and so on. If Allah had willed and wanted to do so, he could have just simply given you a single point. Believe in the hereafter, there will be life after death accounting and that's all the information you're getting. But actually what we find is that the Quran and the Sunnah actually focus very heavily on the hereafter in terms of that life. It's one of it's a very common theme that you will find throughout the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described in a number of ways. And we've we've covered a number of the surahs of the Quran, not just least Surah Al Ghashi that we did uh, that we did only only a few uh, few weeks back, and many other surahs of the Quran that we've already covered and many other that are yet to come, inshaAllah ta'ala. All of them focusing on what? On the hereafter, on death on what happens after death, on the day of judgment, on hellfire, on paradise, all of those issues. Why? Because it then helps you to understand that it's not just a fairy tale, it's not just a vision or a dream or a concept that may not be true, it's just a symbol for something else as some people say, but actually that it is and will be the reality. And then you have all of those hadith in the sunnah of the Prophet as well that give you even more detail and clarification. So Ibn Qayyim he says, when you look at this and you understand this, these two elements together, that you understand the reality of the dunya, that's essentially what Allah Azza wa is saying. Know the reality of the dunya in the first verse, verse number 16, verse number 17, and then recognize the true reality of the hereafter. When you combine those two elements, then that is something which will help you greatly when it comes to this issue of focusing on the hereafter. And that's something which we often have to do. It's something which we should be doing regularly, but we don't do enough. And one of the things that the Salaf, as we know, would do, and the Prophet ﷺ encouraged this as well in, in the Sunnah, is to think often about death and to remember death and to focus on death and the different aspects of death. And if you actually look throughout the Quran and the Sunnah, um, I gave a khutbah a few weeks back at, at uh, my masjid, Green Masjid in Birmingham, and I looked at the, uh, the different, uh, or some of the different narrations in the Quran and the Sunnah that speak about the dreams or the hopes of the believers after death, after they pass away, so whilst they're in the grave and their soul has entered into that grave, that part and the hereafter in general, the dreams or the hopes of the righteous and the sorrows and the complaints of the of the wicked and the wretched people, the disbelievers. And so Allah tells us in the Quran, in the Sunnah, we have a hadith that speak about this. So the people that pass away that are righteous, what do they wish for even more? They're righteous. Allah has given them their reward. They passed the test. They won. But they still have hopes that they wanted. From those hopes, as the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in the hadith in the Muslim of Imam Ahmed, is that some of them will say in the hadith in the narration of Jabir that some of them will say after they see the beauties of or the, or the, the rewards that they have of the next life, meaning in the grave, they will say, allow us to go back to the dunya so that we may inform our family. Tell them this is the reality. We've seen it now. We've been there. This is how it is. And they will be told no. Because Allah has decreed that anyone that dies will never go back to the dunya. 
And then you have the opposite of that as well, right? as we know throughout numerous verses in the Quran, that the people that Allah Azza wa Jal, or the, the wretched people, they will implore Allah Subhanahu wa Taala that they should be allowed to go back to the dunya, even if it is just to give a little a little amount of sadaqah or to pray to rak'ahs, as the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu an, he once passed by a grave and he asked the companions, "Who's in this grave?" They said, "So and so, Messenger of Allah." The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said to them. To pray two rak'ahs is more beloved to this man in his grave now than the rest of this world, everything else in this world. Just to come out and pray those two rak'ahs. And we know, me and you, how easy and quick, relatively quick it is to pray two rak'ahs. You go to the masjid, you pray to nafil. You go at home, you pray to nafil. It's going to take you, what, two minutes, maybe three minutes maximum. Those two rak'ahs, those two, three minutes are more beloved to this man now in his grave than everything else in this world. And that's amazing because before that man was probably in his grave, like me and you, once we're living in the dunya, everything else more or less is more beloved to us than those two rakahs. Getting our money, enjoying life, going and seeing friends, everything else we would rather focus on than the two rakahs. But now he's saying those two rakahs to this man is more beloved than everything else in the dunya. And that's because of perspective. It's because of the way that people, uh, that people, uh, become heedless when they become engulfed in the dunya and they become heedless of the reality of what's going to take place in the next life. So therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us this golden rule You give preference to the life of this world even though the life of the hereafter is better and more lasting. In the penultimate verse in this surah, verse number 18, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, Inna hadha ula. All of this is in the earlier scriptures, or all this is in the earlier scriptures. Uh, in Sahih International, indeed, this is in the form of scriptures. Mufti Taqi, indeed, this is written in the earlier divine scripts. And Muhsin Khan, verily, this is in the former scriptures. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna hadha ula. This is in the former scriptures. What is in the former scriptures? What is the this that is being referred to? We're going to come on to that in a short while, but I want to, before we do that, just mention some of the statements of the Salaf, and then we'll come on to, um, we'll come on to the, uh, the, the, the differences amongst the scholars of Tafsir as to exactly what's being referred to here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ This is something you will find in the early scriptures. Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhuma, he said, this surah is something that you will find in the early scriptures from the scriptures of Ibrahim and Musa. And Qatada, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that indeed the different scriptures and revelations of Allah Azza wa Jal have followed one another, meaning successively they have all said, as you have heard in the Quran, that the hereafter is better and more everlasting than this world. And Ibn Zayd, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, that indeed it is in all of the scriptures of the past that the life of the hereafter is better than the life of the dunya. The scholars of tafsir, they have a discussion as to what Allah Azza wa Jalla is exactly referring to here. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna hadha, this, this you will find in the earlier scriptures. What is this referring to? Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentions a, the positions that the scholars of the past had concerning this. He says, some of them said, that it's referring to all of Sabbihisma Rabbika Lala, meaning this surah 
And when we say this, by the way, this surah or parts of the surah, whatever it may be, we mean the meaning, not exactly the wording, because obviously the Quran is in Arabic. So the exact words are in Arabic in the Quran, but in previous scriptures they would have been revealed in the languages of those nations and those prophets. So in the time of Jesus, Isa salam, or Musa salam, or Ibrahim salam, or Dawood salam, each one would be given a revelation according to their tongue and their language. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا بِلِسَانِ قَوْمِهِ We never sent a messenger except that he spoke the tongue of his people. And so it's going to be in their language, whether it's Hebrew or Aramaic or whatever it may be, those languages is what that revelation will be. So when we say this surah was found, or some of the Salaf said, this surah is found in those early scriptures, it means the meaning. We're referring to the meaning of the verses, those same points, those same principles that Allah mentioned here, they were mentioned in the previous scriptures as well. One of the benefits, by the way, of this discussion, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to us, this you will find in the previous scriptures. So whether it's all of it or parts of it, one of the things that we therefore see is that these are universal truths that Allah has given to every single nation across all of time for all of these prophets and messengers that they should tell these people these things. So whether it's all of the surah or as we will mention, some of the scholars said, just the last part of the surah, this general principle that this life is temptation and it's going to be something which you will give preference to even though the hereafter is greater, whether it's the ones that came before it that if you want to achieve salvation and success, purify your soul by giving zakah or by, by purifying yourself and remembering your Lord and, and offering prayer and so on, or whether it's mentioned from what is at the beginning of this surah in terms of the importance of knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, knowing subha- Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and knowing certain things such as that Allah knows what is apparent and what is hidden and all of those issues uh, it shows that these are things that every single nation were told and every single nation was informed of and that's something which you know isn't something which should surprise anyone because clearly these are truths that apply to each and every single nation and every single generation and so the fact that other prophets came and they told the people the same thing shouldn't be something which surprises us because this is uh, in all of the revelations are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so for the central uh, therefore the central message of each one would be the same as well so anyway some of them said therefore that it is all of the surah and this has been uh, something which has been attributed to Ibn Abbas as we just mentioned in that statement that, that I narrated to you and also other scholars such as Ikrimah as well from the tabi'een that they said that it refers to the whole surah and others said no that it refers to uh, that it refers to a uh, the, the general theme of the surah as opposed to the actual meanings and so on just the general theme of this surah another said no actually what it refers to is the final portion of the surah the final portion of the surah and that is from the verses قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ success will be given to the one who purifies themselves وَذَكَرَ اسْمَ رَبِّهِ فَصَلَّى and they remember the name of their Lord and they pray but rather you give preference to the life of this world even though the life of the next world is better and more lasting and so therefore this portion from verses 14 to 17 14, 15, 16, 17 these four verses these are the ones that Allah is referring to that this statement of how to achieve salvation and the reality of the dunya and the hereafter that is what Allah mentioned to each of these prophets in their earlier revelations and so you have this difference of, is it the whole surah? Is it just the concept of the surah? Or is it this, 
these four verses in terms of what Allah Azza wa mentioned in the uh, in the uh, in in the previous scriptures that came. Uh, Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, after mentioning these different positions, the one that he chose, he said, The strongest of those, or most likely of those positions to be to be correct, is the last one. That is referring to these four verses. From verses 14 to 17, these are the ones that you will find in the earlier scriptures, referring to as we will see in the next verse, referring to the scriptures of Ibrahim and Musa. And Imam Al Tabari then goes on and he says, وَإِنَّمَا قُلْتُ ذَلِكَ أَوْلَى بِصِحَّةِ مِنْ غَيْرِهِ لِأَنَّ هَذَا إِشَارَةٌ إِلَى حَاضِرٌ فَلِأَنْ يَكُونَ إِشَارَةٌ إِلَى مَقَرُوبَ مِنْهَا أَوْلَى مِنْ أَنْ يَكُونَ إِشَارَةٌ إِلَى غَيْرِهِ I say this is the strongest of those positions because the word هَذَا which means this is usually said to something which is present. So you say this is a pen because it's something which I say. If it wasn't here in this room, wasn't around me, can't be seen, then I would say that pen. Right, that pen because it's not something which is here and present and something which people can witness. But when it's something which is present in front of you, you say here, this. And he says, and the Arabs, when they say the word this, not only is it present, but usually when it's mentioned in this way, the this refers to the closest issue that's just been mentioned. Right? So if you're speaking about someone and you say, oh, I went and this is what happened and that's what happened and whatever, and you say this, that this is always referring to what you're still speaking about. You wouldn't be saying this happened and you're referring to a conversation that you had in the morning or yesterday, right? You're going to say, remember that conversation that we had, that that is for something which is further back, whereas that this is for something which is present and near. That's essentially what Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he's saying. And so he says, when Allah says, inna hadha, indeed this is found in the early scriptures, then it makes sense that it's something which is present and close. And what is present and close in terms of what Allah Azza wa mentions in this surah, the, the passage, these four verses are like a single passage in which Allah Azza wa is telling us the means of salvation and the reality of the dunya and the akhirah. And so he says that, that seems to be what Allah Azza wa is therefore referring to. However, as we said, there were other scholars who chose otherwise and they said that it refers to all of the surah and the hadha is still this surah because it's still speaking about the same surah as opposed to a different one. However, this was the position chosen by Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, after mentioning, uh, after in his own tafsir, when he mentions that this is the position that Imam Al-Tabari chose, he says, qawi. And this, this position is a good and strong position. This choice of Imam Al-Tabari is a good and strong position. And it's the one that was chosen by some of the Salafs, such as Qatada and Ibn Zayd, rahimahullah ta'ala. Allah Azza wa Jalla in the final verse of this surah, in verse number 19, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Suhufi Ibrahim wa Musa, the scriptures of Ibrahim and Musa alayhim salam. And I think that the translation will probably, yes, essentially the same with all of the translations, and that is that this is the scriptures of Ibrahim and Musa. The uh, scriptures of Ibrahim and Musa salam. So we know that generally a pillar of our Iman is that we believe in all of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's books. And part of that Iman that we have in the divine revelations and books of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that we believe that in them in general, in the sense that Allah sent down divine revelation to different prophets for their nations. 
and that Allah Azza wa contained within that divine revelation light and guidance for them that they essentially called to what Allah Azza wa wanted them to be calling to in terms of Tawheed and the Sharia of those respective prophets and the path that would lead them to Jannah and that Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala uh, that Allah Azza wa gave them that they are all from the speech of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala and that Allah Azza wa gave them to those prophets. We also then believe in the specific details that we have from the Quran and the Sunnah concerning those scriptures. So from them is some of the names like the Torah, like the Injil, like here Suhafi Ibrahim and Musa, the scriptures of Ibrahim and Musa, like the Psalms, the Zabur of Dawood alayhi salam. We believe in the certain ideals or the certain uh, details that we have concerning those uh, those as well the revelations of these uh, prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the ones that are mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah uh, one of the interesting things is that they are all it is said that all of them their revelation started in the month of Ramadan all of them their revelation started in the month of Ramadan and that's actually mentioned in the hadith in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad uh, the hadith of Wathila ibn al-Asqa' radiyallahu an that he said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said unzilat suhufu Ibrahim alayhi salam fi awwali laylatin min Ramadan the suhuf of Ibrahim, the scriptures of Ibrahim alayhi salam were revealed on the first night of Ramadan and the Torah six nights into the month of Ramadan and the Injil thirteen nights into the month of Ramadan and the Furqan, meaning the Quran, 24 nights into the month of Ramadan. Uh, Al-Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, so one of the issues um, here, so the word suhuf means scriptures, right, scriptures. Uh, and it's singular is sahifa, and a sahifa means a page or a single page of a scripture, suhuf being the, the, uh, the, um, the plural, right, the plural of the word. The meaning of the word suhuf here in this context is the revelation that Allah said, meaning the divine books that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to these prophets. Uh, Imam al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, suhuf means al-kutub al-munazzala alayhima, the books that were revealed to them. Uh, and then he's the one that mentions that the inna hadha lafi suhuf al-ula, that this is found in the early scriptures, doesn't mean the actual words in and of themselves, but the meaning because each one of them had a different language that they were known by and so on. So we know that they have suhuf, right? We know that the different prophets had different revelations and so on, and that the greatest of those revelations and the one that will continue until Yawm Al-Qiyamah is the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Qur'an. And they are all, no doubt, books of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but we mean by the book of Allah azza wa jalla, we say it, the Qur'an. The scholars of Islam differ uh, on one issue now. So the Suhuf of Ibrahim السلام, the scriptures or the parchments of Ibrahim السلام, uh, they are they are mentioned in the Quran as being the scriptures that were given to him. So that's the divine revelation that he has. When it comes to the Prophet Musa السلام, we know that there are two things that are mentioned now concerning Musa السلام. The first of them is the Suhuf as we see here, that Ibrahim السلام, has something called the Suhuf which means a scripture or parchments, and he also has what we call the Torah. Right? So often Allah when he's referring to the revelation of Musa السلام, he's referring to the Torah. The Torah is mentioned multiple times in the Quran and the Sunnah. 
But also now we have, and there's by the way, there's two, um, two times in the Quran that the Suhuf, the scriptures of Ibrahim and Musa السلام, are mentioned. The first is here in Surah Al-Ala, and the second place that they mention is in Surah Al-Najm, in Surah Al-Najm. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَمْ لَمْ يُنَبَّعْ بِمَا فِي صُحُفِ مُوسَى وَإِبْرَاهِيمَ الَّذِي وَفَّى Have they not been told what is contained in the suhuf of Musa and in the suhuf of Ibrahim? And so Allah Azza mentions the suhuf of Ibrahim and Musa twice in the Quran, once here in Surah Al-A'la, in the final verse, and once in Surah Al-Najm. So the scholars differed. The suhuf of Ibrahim is easy because no other revelation is mentioned for him. It's just this revelation. So therefore, that's the revelation that was given to Ibrahim They're known as his suhuf. But Musa we have two terms now that are mentioned for his revelation. The suhuf of Musa and the Torah. So the question that then arises amongst the scholars is, is, are they one and the same? Are they one and the same? Or are they two distinct, different revelations that were given to Musa The first position amongst the scholars, and I think, uh, at least for my research and Allah knows best, seems to be the position of the majority, is that they are one and the same. The suhuf of, Ibrahim, of Musa is the Torah, and the Torah are the suhuf of Musa. And that is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he said that he gave to, Ibrahim, to Musa salam the alwah, you know, the tablet contain, containing maw'idah and tafsil and everything else, then what was being referred to is Torah by ijma' of the scholars of tafsil. And so, Likewise, the suhuf is just another name for parchments, tablets, Torah. All of this is Torah. Uh, and so it's as if the alwah, the, the tablets that were given, they're like parchments. Each one is a parchment, but altogether they are called the Torah. That's the first position amongst the scholars of tafsir. And so they are one and the same. Uh, and this was the position of a number of the scholars of tafsir, such as Imam al-Baghawi and Imam al-Shawkani, rahimahumullah, and others. The second position is that they are different. The Torah is what Allah gave to Musa concerning his laws, containing his laws and his commandments. And the suhuf, the scriptures or the parchments that were given to Musa were the ones that contained reminders and parables and stories. And so they were two distinct ones. They were two distinct, uh, distinct revelations that were given. And this is something which you will find mentioned by some of the scholars of Tafsir, such as Al-Alusi, Rahimahullah, and others. Uh, and Allah Azza knows best. There's no distinct or there's no definitive. I, I haven't come across anyone uh, that's found a definitive evidence from the Quran or the Sunnah that says that it is one or the other. And so, therefore, you know, it's something which um, it's something which the scholars seem to have differed over in terms of this. And Allah Azza knows knows best. Um, and, and with that we come to the end of this surah it's an amazing surah as we said a surah that the Prophet would recite uh, numerous times in the week in certain salawat and that is because like Surah Al-Ghashiyah it has a reminder of these important principles of worshipping Allah Azza wa Jal and seeking salvation and understanding the reality of the dunya and the akhirah and so it's a surah that requires as we've done a good deal of, of time and effort and discussion in order for us to be able to understand and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he allows us to understand the Quran and to contemplate over it and to put it into practice as well. Uh, inshallah ta'ala, next week then, as we usually do when we finish a surah, we're going to be having a special, uh, most likely it will be a biography of one of the scholars of tafsir and a look into his tafsir as well. I'm not sure which one at the moment, but inshallah ta'ala, that's the idea. So, um, 
Any questions? These four verses meaning 16 and 219? No. Uh, meaning 16. No, sorry. I think I got it wrong. 14, 15, 16, and 17. 14, 15, 16, and 17. Because 18 and 19 are speaking about what is found in those scriptures. So it's the four verses before that. 14, 15, 16, and 17. Why is only Prophet Ibrahim and Musa mentioned and which are the scriptures of Prophet Ibrahim and what is the best way to memorize a surah? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions these two as an example and Allah Azza wa knows best why uh, why these particular prophets as opposed to others. Uh, it may be that because the, the, the scriptures of Ibrahim salam are the earliest ones that we know of. The earliest ones that we know of because no other uh, scripture is mentioned to us by name that a prophet received revelation by name that comes earlier than the Prophet Ibrahim and the Torah as we know often in the Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes or draws parallels between this ummah and the ummah of Musa alayhi salatu wasalam and Allah knows best what is the best way to memorize a surah there are many different ways and everyone has their own way uh, essentially most of them if not all of them will go back to a level of repetition whether that's repeating by looking or repeating by from memory most of these methods, as to the best of my knowledge, require a dedicated level of repetition. And that's something which uh, I think you know, there's probably plenty of videos on YouTube and so on that will give to you more detail uh, than what I can give to you in a couple of minutes. So you're probably better off checking them. Uh, kindly recommend some books that can be gifted to non-Muslims. I think there's a lot of uh, good books that people have now written for new Muslims. I think if you go to certain organizations like Aira in the UK and others who focus on da'wah to non-Muslims and, and conveying the message of Islam to non-Muslims, they have a, a good deal of books, usually quite short, on, on the numerous, uh, numerous topics from those people who may not believe in the existence of God to people who may be of different faiths such as Christianity. Uh, and so I think if you, if you look at that, uh, if you look at it, then that's something which, you know, if you look at their websites, that may help you, inshallah ta'ala. Okay. So, um, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to conclude that. And inshallah ta'ala, as I said next week, we will inshallah ta'ala do a special before we continue on to our next surah in terms of its tafsir. Barakallahu feekum. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.